I want you to turn here tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And this may be just slightly different. We're going to take a text of scripture and draw out from it a truth that I will go much deeper into uh, next Wednesday night. But here we're in part nine of penal substitution, dealing with Christ's work on the cross. And in fact, a work that many in the church today are attacking, they're apostatizing away from, falling away from the truth of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so we've illustrated this truth very thoroughly. But I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to read the first five verses. This is part nine tonight. And my message, and I'll explain it, a covenant exchange. A covenant exchange. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 to 5. And it came to pass... When he, that is King David, or he wasn't King David then. He was the boy shepherd who had just defeated Goliath. And it came to pass when he, David, had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved them as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people. And also in the sight of Saul's servants. Let's pray here together. Father, we thank you for our gathering tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, under the authority and the power of that name. Father, we thank you for the truth of God, the word of God. And Father, tonight I pray, Lord God, that you would open your covenant unto us. You say in the word of God, unto them that fear you, you will show them your covenant. And Lord God, we're asking that eternal covenant made between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that covenant that was ratified and sealed at Calvary in the precious blood of the Lamb. That covenant that was made with every righteous person down through the ages and every generation. My God, we're asking tonight that you'd show us your covenant. My God, that you'd make us to know your love tonight, that you so loved us that you sent your son to die on the cross. So God, I pray that the love of Christ would be shed abroad in our hearts tonight, that we had love each other because Christ has first loved us. My God, that we might know the reality and the depths and the fullness of the love of the, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh God, I pray tonight, Lord God, that as we abide in this new covenant, this covenant of grace, this covenant that came out of your love, nor God, that you would, nor God, show us your perfect righteousness, this robe 
of righteousness that's a free gift to all of those that put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray tonight, stir our hearts, warm us, O God, encourage us as your church, not only what was placed on Christ in the cross, but Lord God, in that finished work, what was given to us, what was placed on us, Lord God, because the blood was shed. We bless you and praise you tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. We've already seen in this series that the entire Old Testament, its stories, its teaching, its ritual, the lives, the families, the covenants, all of these things, the tabernacle, every blood sacrifice is a picture, it's a type, it's a shadow, it's a prophecy. It's an example. The entire Old Testament is a teaching manual on the doctrine of the New Testament. What Christ done in the cross, on the cross, in the New Testament is actually taught throughout the Old Testament. I can teach on the cross from Genesis to Malachi very easily. You knew that when we looked at Isaiah 53. In fact, I think Isaiah 53 is more explicit than even any of the three Gospels that depict the work of the cross. Isaiah 53, several hundred years before, it's a prophecy and yet it goes into such detail. It's a prophecy about the cross. And so we see the whole Old Testament is a manual. It's given to us to help with the teaching in the New Testament, to open things up. So even the lives, the stories are given to us an example. So we have Jonah and the whale, the big fish. We know it really happened. Jonah was a real life. We know Jonah at the point when he was swallowed by the big fish or the whale, because the New Testament does call it a whale, that when he was swallowed, although he was running from God, yet over in the New Testament, Jesus takes Jonah and the fish to be a picture of himself, that the Son of Man is going to lie three days in the belly of the earth, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale. So you see that Jesus takes a real story about a real man, to apply and to teach you about a certain thing that's about to happen with him, that he's going to send down into the lower regions of the earth for three days and on the third day be raised again. So we see this happens throughout the Bible. And that's what I'm going to do tonight. See how I have to be so careful in proving what I do, in justifying what I do. Because we live in a generation, men do not stick with scripture Or whatever you do, men will criticize it. So I've always got to make sure I'm within the boundaries of Scripture. So when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and read about Saul, King Saul, Jonathan, his son, who was a prince, and about young David, who was not yet king, but a young shepherd boy, I'm going to take them as a type tonight to illustrate a very important truth that we've already touched on that's vital to our series and I'm going to teach more clearly from the New Testament next week. My message here, a covenant 
exchange, a covenant exchange. Let me read this again. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go. Sorry, I don't have first one. And it came to pass when he made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then verse 3, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. I'm taking Jonathan as a type of Jesus Christ. In these few verses, I'm going to preach to you tonight. Jonathan is Jesus. We know he wasn't. It's not a perfect type. But Jonathan is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, one old time preacher found 100 likenesses where Joseph is very like Jesus in the New Testament. 100 clear points without twist and truth. I want to tell you, Jonathan is a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what he does for a real Christian on the cross. I believe it's shown very clearly here, and I'm going to open it up to you and preach it. I believe David is a picture and type of a real Christian, a justified believer. Doesn't Romans chapter 3 say that David in the Old Testament was justified by faith, just as we are, just as Abraham was? Do you realize every true believer from Genesis right until the coming of Christ All are saved the same way, by faith, through the blood of a bleeding lamb, through justification in what Christ done. David was justified by faith. So was Abraham. So am I tonight. All saved by the same means of the grace of God. And so I want to take David to be a picture, a type of you and I, a real Christian, a normal Christian, Jonathan, what he does with David in these few verses is a picture of Christ's work towards him, his love, his covenant, his robe. Everything is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to draw this out. You'll see there in verse four, it says, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David. And this is the thing I really want us to emphasize here. See, in the past couple of weeks of this message, of this series, we dealt with Christ bearing the wrath of God. We saw on the cross, he bare our sin, our punishment, the wrath of the Father against sin. We saw that. And so we've seen everything that was ours that was put on Christ on the cross. Now I want to turn this this week tonight and finish maybe next Wednesday night. And I want to show you not what we placed on Christ on the cross, but what Christ on the cross placed upon us. Because it's not only our sin going on him. It's not only the wrath of God being poured out on him. Something else happened. That's only half the story. The other half of the story is actually we got something. Essentially one thing. But in that one thing, we got thousands of other blessings 
and other things. You see, I believe on the cross, we got the robe of Jonathan, the robe of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at this robe in verse 4, it's talking, that word robe means something that is complete outward. And we're going to look at it. Let me go straight into this tonight. As I begin to show you what happened on the cross by looking at Jonathan in these few verses. And I've got four points for you here. I want you to hear very clearly. Number one, because of love. Because of love. Let me tell you what Jesus done on the cross was because of love. What you got on the cross was because of love. What was accomplished on the cross was because of love. The cross would never have happened if God did not have love towards you. Love was the motivating factor. Look at chapter 18, verse 1 here. And it came to pass when he, David, had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. It says something vital here. And this is where we begin to see the relationship between Jonathan and David. Where did their relationship begin? It began in love. It says Jonathan loved David. He actually loved David as his own soul. You can't get a greater love than that, than to love someone else like your own soul. Doesn't it say in Ephesians 5, we ought to love others as we love ourselves? That's not talking about a selfish love, but real love preserves. You don't damage your body. I never understood someone who self-harmed. I couldn't imagine it. I could never commit suicide, even if I got in the pits. It, it's beyond imagination. And yet I know very genuine people. It's a terrible temptation. And it's a, something that they pass through, harming themselves. But I could not imagine it. Ephesians 5 says, as you preserve your own body, so you ought to love your wife as your own body. You don't go around stabbing your own body, damaging your own body, punching your own body. You actually preserve your body. A man who harmed his wife would be as silly or foolish as someone who had harmed their own body. Look what Jonathan does here. It says, Jonathan loved him, David, as his own soul. I want you to see what sort of love Jonathan had towards David. It was an intense love. An intense love. This is not a normal love. It's not a natural love. You know, most of the people you've encountered in life who loved you, it wasn't this sort of love. Don't deceive yourself that love is love is love. It's not. It absolutely isn't. The love of Jonathan was a remarkable love. And the first mark about it is it was intense. He loved David, this young man, this young soldier, this slayer of Goliath, that happened in the previous chapter. He loves him. It's a manly love. It's a godly love. And you know what? He loved him as his own soul. It's an intense love. It's a consuming love. Jonathan absolutely loved jo uh, young David. It's also a sacrificial love. When you read the relationship between Jonathan and David, you see that Jonathan was willing to come to a place to lay down his life because of his love for David. 
He so loved David, he would endanger his own life. And later when Saul, his own father, turned against him, he even endangered his own life, risked his own neck because he loved David. That love was so real that he went, life isn't dear unto me. I would lay down my life just to save David. You know, in all of this, you begin to see the sort of love God has towards you. Certain Christians and many sinners doubt the love of God. They go, I don't feel it. It does he really love me. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. One day if you feel good and everything's going good, he loves me. The next day you go, I'm not sure God can love me. You know what? You're basing love on your perception of love, your feelings. Do you honestly think God's love is measured by your feelings, your thoughts, or your personal experience? Absolutely no way. So look at this love of Jonathan. It was intense. It was sacrificial. It was faithful. When tested, it stood the test of time. You know, the love of Jesus Christ can be tested. It is a faithful love. Just wait till you get in the trials and the troubles and you're tempted and you're buffeted and you're overwhelmed and your feet feel like they're slipping. I want to tell you, there is a love that you're going to find endures through every test, every darkness of the soul, every dark night, every attack of the devil. There is one who loves you and that love is manifested by faithfulness. That's the sort of love that Jonathan had. Do you see how God put his love in Jonathan's heart for David, for David, because he wanted that to be used for an example for us to understand something of the love of God. If Jonathan's love could sustain, it was tested, it was buffeted, it was challenged. Even his father tried to divide between this love, but he couldn't break it. It was a faithful love. Do you realize Jonathan's love naturally is nothing compared to the love of Christ? What does the Bible say? Can anything separate us from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can depths or heights or things to come or things that are here now or angels or any other thing? Do you honestly think that anything can separate you from the love of Christ? You see, your feelings, your thoughts, your experience may tell you something. But when we go to the Bible, we see the love of Christ is so immense. It is so intense. It is sacrificial. Do you doubt the love of Christ? Where do you go to to find out or to know the love of Christ? Do you look at Calvary? He so loved you. He died on a cross. You say you doubt the love of Christ. How could you? Has anyone else died for you? Did anyone suffer for you? Did anyone bear your sin? Did anyone else take your position that you ought to spend an eternity in hell? Has anyone loved you like that? Has your mommy loved you like that? Has your husband or wife loved you like that? Has your children loved you like that? I doubt it. And so we see the greatness of this love. It's a committed love. Jonathan was absolutely committed to David. In other words, that love was expressed. I'll give you what you need. I'll give you anything. I'll do anything for you. He actually says that to, to David. You just tell me what you need. Do you know we serve a God who so loves you that he says, come and ask of me, come and pray. Are you tempted? 
come on unto me. Do you feel like you're being overwhelmed? Do you feel like the things of life are too much for you? Will you come unto me? He's absolutely committed. Do you know Jesus Christ is your great high priest? He's your intercessor. Do you know what that comes out of? A heart of love. Why is he so committed towards you? Oh, he's only committed to me while I'm 100%. If I have a wobbly today, man, the love of God dispels. He's not committed to me. Whoever told you that? Whoever led you to imagine that? It is a giving love. Look what he gives. He gives a robe. He gives a sword. He gives a girdle. He gives a bow. He gives garments. Here's Jonathan stripping himself and saying, here, I'll give you what is mine. That come out of love. So we see that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. It's not a human love. You see, I believe the real love of God got a hold of Jonathan. I believe it wasn't natural. It wasn't, I'll love you if you love me. This was something far greater that he experienced of loving this young man. It was amazing. Three times we're told about this love, that he loved him as his own soul. It is emphasized in these verses. You see, this relationship between Jonathan and David was not based on fear, obligation, ritual, religion, ought to, I better just to stay safe and not to go to hell. This was a consuming love. And not just Jonathan towards David. David also loved Jonathan. There was a mutual love. And you know what? This love led somewhere. What does it say? It says the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. This word knit, we could say love unifies. It unites. So we see that the reason they knit their souls together or their souls were knit together was because of love. They so loved each other. They were knit together. Their souls were knit together. Not just their minds, not just their words, not just their plans, their souls, their innermost parts of their being, who they are inwardly in the inner man. You know what knit means? It means to tie together, to bind together, to interlink, to be joined as one, made one, to be united together. And so we see that these two, Jonathan and David, they were made one. Why? Because Jonathan loved him. Because Jonathan loved him, out of this love, that's what agape love does. That's what the love of Christ, sacrificial love, faithful love, committed love, intense love, God love, divine love. You know what it does? It unites two people together. You know why I'm united to God? Because he loved me. That's where it all begins. Because of love. Love in the heart of Jonathan. Love in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was united to me. He was knit together with me. You know what Jonathan says a little bit later, or the scripture says? says that the love of Jonathan was greater than the love of, uh, 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 for a woman. Now, the homosexuals try to steal that, and they try to twist it and say there was something abnormal about this love. But listen again to what it says. It says it was greater than the love of a man for a woman. In other words, a love for a man of a man for a woman is a natural, sexual, attracted love. But this was greater 
It wasn't on a sexual, emotional level. It wasn't on that, that, that attraction level. This was a far greater love than that. It's actually saying that was a normal love. That would be normal for Jonathan. But this love was something very, very different. It was very pure, very intense. It led to remarkable commitment. And we see the two of them, their hearts, their soul, their innermost being, being knit together. You know, real love does have an impact. It says in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love than sacrificial love. I believe Jonathan's love was an intense sacrificial love. It says in 1 John chapter 3 and 16, hereby perceive we the love of God. Can I ask you tonight, how do you perceive the love of God towards you? How do you identify it? How do you perceive? How do your eyes open and say, oh, I see the love of God. How do you go about perceiving it? Well, I try to feel the love of God on Sunday morning when we gather together at the height of worship around the Lord's table. How do you perceive the love of God? How do you get your eyes open that you can say, he loves me. He really loves me. How do you do that? Let me give you the answer of what it should be. Hereby, or in this manner, perceive we, or we see the love of God because he laid down his life for us. See all of those preachers I told you about in part one and part two and part three, these enemies of the cross who said, God loves you. He doesn't need the cross. He forgives you. He doesn't need the cross. That's not what the Bible teaches. Do you know what it teaches here? It says, how do you perceive that God loves you? Because he laid down his life for you on the cross. There's only one way you can know God loves you. There's only one sure, guaranteed, steadfast way that you can be absolutely persuaded. I know he loves me. How do you? Oh, I just feel his love. That can be very deceptive. I've met people who say, oh, I feel the love of God. They're in the deepest deception. They contradict everything in the Bible. I, I want to tell you, that is not the love of God they're feeling. It's a deception. You know what it says? It says you perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. So don't try to perceive the love of God. You cannot know the love of God. It wouldn't be revealed to you if Jesus had not died on the cross. He laid down his life. Therefore, you perceived he loved you. He laid down his life. Therefore, you know that he loved you. Don't tell me you don't know God loves you. Oh, yeah, you might say, I don't feel it. I understand. I understand. You, you may say, I can't see it or feel it or comprehend it. I understand. But don't tell me you can't know that God loves you. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. That whosoever believeth in him, you know, knowing he loves you is halfway to believing on him. 
If you don't believe this God loves you, you could never believe on him. You could never receive him because you're always doubting. But when you see Jesus died for me, Jesus bled for me, Jesus took my place on the cross, you begin to see the love of Christ. Then you want to receive him. You see, if you ever find someone, I want to tell you single guys or single girls, you ever meet anyone like this that loves you in this way, you better marry them quickly. I want to tell you, if you ever find such a love or such a person where you could find the love of Christ manifest, revealed, something of this reality, you want to be knit to that person. See, this love is so real. I want to join myself. I want to be interlinked with this love. I don't want this person to get away from me. But let me tell you something. Jonathan has such a love that he knits himself to you. That when he finds a David, he has such a love for David. It causes him to knit his soul to David. Do you know what happens with Christ? He so carries a love that when he found you a worthless sinner... Someone that had, there was nothing beautiful about you. I hope you realize that. There was nothing lovely. But he so loved you that it made him knit himself to to you to become one. It says in 1 John 4 and 9, and this was manifested. In other words, revealed the love of God toward us. In what? Come on, tell us. In this was manifest. In other words, it was shown openly. It was revealed. It's in the open realm. Okay, tell me. How do I know God loves us, loves me? How do I know? How is it manifest unto me? Listen, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that's how you know he loves you. That we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. In other words, remember what I said about propitiation, a mercy seat, a place where the wrath of God came, a place of blood shedding. So you know God loves you. You know his love is manifest because he sent his son to become your propitiation, to suffer for your sin. That's how you know he loves you. You see how important these messages are. They're so basic, so elementary, so simple. But you've got to know this because of love. That's why this first thing, because of love, he knits himself to you. Second of all, my second point, in a blood covenant, because of love, in a blood covenant, I want you to see this here. Look at verse three. It says, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Notice this, that relationship has to be guarded by a covenant. Do you know relationships are very fragile, aren't they? We've seen it in our lifetime. You've seen it in your own experience. You could fall in love with someone Be in a relationship. There are many enemies of love. There are many enemies of a relationship. Until you secure a relationship in a covenant, it's not safe. That love is very vulnerable. How do you know it won't break? How do you know that love won't be removed from you? How do you know that love won't fail? 
Do you know all through the Bible, you have covenant to secure love. You have to be in covenant to know that love is going to be constant and steadfast. So it says that Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him. Because Jonathan loved David, he said, no, our souls are knit together. I love you as my own soul, but I've got to bring you into a covenant. We need to make a covenant together because I want to secure this relationship. What is covenant? Covenant issues from Genesis to Revelation. It's one of the most important words in the entire Bible. Do you realize God never has a relationship with any man or woman throughout the entire Bible unless it's made by a covenant? If there's no covenant, there's no relationship. You never once see God walk with a man. Not Adam, not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob. No one, not David. God made a covenant with David. God Just read Psalm 89. It's all about this covenant between David and God. God made a covenant. He swore unto David. You read about the covenant God made with Abraham. You read it all through scripture, how God made a covenant with Moses. And so you see that God never will have any interaction with a man or a woman unless he brings them into a covenant. If he loves you, he wants to bring you into a covenant. To have a relationship, he wants to bring that relationship into covenant. So Jonathan loves David and draws him. He says, we need to make a covenant. You know why? Maybe he perceived something of his own father. Maybe those latent jealousies. Maybe he had an idea of anger. Maybe he didn't fully understand, but I want to tell you, we serve a God, the Lord Jesus Christ, our great Jonathan. You know what he says? I need to bring you into a covenant. You know why? You can't even imagine how much this love is going to come under attack. See the love between you and Jesus Christ. It is going to be attacked in vicious ways you never imagine. Fiery darts are going to be fired at it. Overwhelming storms will come against it. You're going to have devils march against it. You're going to have lies and errors fired against it. And so it needs secured. The word for covenant is bareth. And in the Old Testament, it means a binding contract, a compact, a league. Do you know what you've done in a covenant in days of old? You wrote out all the basis of what, on what you're making a covenant. It was written down in a signed document. You know what the covenant for us is? It's all written here. You better know this is your covenant, the new covenant. It is your covenant. Do you realize that covenant has promises? It has commands. It is instructions, it is informations, it has boundaries. You see, a covenant does have boundaries to protect it. When you marry a woman, you make a covenant. I made a covenant with Candace. We stood at the front of a church and made vows. What is a vow? A vow is the same as a covenant. The word vow can be used in place of the word covenant. I swear Remember what it says in the Bible? Because God couldn't swear by any higher. He swore by himself. No, he done more than that. He 
swear by his holiness. I swear. You don't get a stronger statement than that. Then God actually said, I swear. Do you know in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, we're told that God swear by himself to give you a commitment because you're getting rocked about in storms. So God knows that you hit storms of temptation and trials and doubts and fears and concerns. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. I'm doing good today. I didn't do too uh, well yesterday. He knows you go through them. And you know what? It says he gives this oath for confirmation to settle your heart that you will not fear, to end all of your strife. Oh, Brother Keith, you can't imagine all the fears and the turmoil and the confusion in me and all the worries about my relationship with God. Don't you know in Hebrews, that's why I said, I swear to bring an end to the strife that goes on in your soul. You know what? It's given as an anchor within the veil to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got an anchor in your soul. Do you hear me tonight? We're talking about a covenant. He swear by himself. Swearing is a vital part of a covenant. Do you know a covenant's made up of three things? An oath, blood. Blood has to be shed or you don't have a covenant. There's not a covenant in the Bible that blood wasn't shed. And the third thing is promises. I will, I will, I will, I will. All of these things it takes to make a biblical covenant. Notice the statement there in verse three. Read it very carefully. Jonathan and David made a covenant. I want you to underline that word made. That seems a throwaway word, made. We don't even stop and look it up in Strong's Concordance. We don't even check it because the throwaway, it's a filler. It's a gap filler. No, it's not. Look it up and study it for yourself. Jonathan and David made a covenant. The word made there is the word kara, made. You say, well, what does that mean? Look it up in your Strong's Concordance. The word kara means to cut a covenant to shed blood. The word made means to cut. In other words, blood has to be shared, shed. This is all through the Old Testament. Made a covenant, made a covenant. You don't have a covenant unless blood is actually shed. It's a very important word. It's a simple word. But I tell you, when you begin to see words like this, so he made a covenant with David. Because he loved him as his own soul. He cut a covenant. They got a sacrifice. They shed blood. They made a covenant in blood. And they swear oaths. You said, where did he swear? Well, look at 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 17. And Jonathan caused David to swear again. That means they'd done it before. Here they are a couple of chapters later. And again, this time Jonathan is making David to swear again. He swear before, but he's getting him to swear again because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Can you imagine God saying, 
I'm going to swear because I love you. I'm going to swear unto you that I'll keep you. I'm going to swear unto you that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you know what? It's in the middle of the blood. I swear unto you amidst the blood sacrifice. Do you realize where the covenant was made with us between Christ and us? We know he loved us. We know he died on the cross. Where was the covenant made? The covenant was made in the blood on the cross. Listen carefully. Luke chapter 22 and 20. Jesus teaching. Likewise also the cup after supper. He took a cup, took bread, took a cup. Look what the cup represents at the Lord's table. Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the New Testament or the new covenant in my blood. What does the cup, when we have communion, what does it represent? That cup represents that God has made a covenant with you in the blood. Do you see that covenant came out of love? It was made in the blood. God swear by himself. He wants to join you together. Your hearts are knit together. He wants to secure the love. You know why that love has many enemies? You're going to go through many storms. Your relationship with Jesus is going to be under attack. Sometimes you think your feet are going to let Um, go from under you. Sometimes you're not even sure if you're going to make it through this storm. It's too dark. It's too deep. It's too wide. It's too hard. It's too much. And that's when you need to know if you're relying on feeling the love of God, you need something more than that. I need to know this love, his love towards me, my love towards him is secured in a covenant by the blood of Jesus. Again, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, Paul the apostle writing about communion. After the same manner also, he took the cup and when he had supped saying, this cup is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Remember, It's a covenant. It's all here. It's the new covenant. It's the teaching of the New Testament. It's substitution. It's propitiation. It's imputation. It's all the teaching of the New Testament, of the gospel that we're not to be ashamed of. Do you realize all of that gospel, it's actually yours. And you know what? It is the new covenant. It's in the new covenant. And that new covenant is in the blood. How do I know it's for me? Because of the blood. I'm washed in the blood. I came by way of the blood. It's through the blood of the cross. You don't have the love of God apart from blood shedding. God would not love you if blood had not been shed on the cross. God wouldn't secure you in a covenant. There would be no covenant, no covenant of grace, no forgiveness, no mercy, no hope. None at all. And yet he makes a covenant in his blood. Where was the covenant made? At Calvary. It was ratified at Calvary. It was sealed at Calvary. It was offered to you at Calvary. Nowhere else. Oh, God's just going to forgive me. No, he'll never do that. Oh, I've had this personal experience with God. I, I just have my relationship with God. I don't need the cross. I don't need the blood. You're deceived. You're absolutely deceived. You can only know God loves you because of the cross, because of the blood. And that covenant secures you. This love, the love of God, leads you into a covenant. 
all true love does. It leads to commitment. Again, someone says they love you and they don't want to commit themselves to you. That's not love. You see, you can test love. Love is sacrificial. Real love. You can test it. Love is committed no matter what. Love is faithful. Love will lead you into a covenant. It doesn't just say, let's be one, and then I leave you outside. You see, true love wants to draw you into a covenant. And that covenant has boundaries. It has regulations. It has a system. Men thinking of getting married. Remember what the Bible says. You need to love her as Christ loves the church. That's the regulation. That's your commitment. God expects that of you. You have to. You want to be in a relationship. You want to be in that bed. Then you better love her as Christ loved the church and he died for her on the cross. That is the pattern. You, you, you want all the blessings of intimacy. You don't have that unless it's inside a covenant. You see, a real covenant has boundaries. People want salvation. Oh, I'm in Christ. I love Christ. I've got a relationship with Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I have all the promises. I claim them. I'm secure. I can't lose my salvation. And I can live like a devil. You're not inside the covenant. You can't live in the covenant like a devil, breaking his word, disrespecting his desires, shunning his love, trampling his blood under your feet, and yet say, I'm secure in covenant. No chance. You see, the covenant has regulations. Very dangerous to be a covenant breaker. But third, this is the real thing I want to bring you on to. The robe of righteousness. We've seen the love. We've seen the covenant. But this is what I'm bringing to you. What happened on the cross? He so loved you, he brought you into a covenant on the cross. What's in that covenant? It's this third point, the robe of righteousness. Look at point four here. Or sorry, verse four. And it says, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him. And he gave it to David. Look at the process. He loved him because his soul was knit to him or their souls were knit together because of that love. They secure it in a covenant. Now, what does he actually do? He strips himself of his own robe. The first great act of this covenant, of being brought into covenant, is that Jonathan strips himself and everything he was clothed in, he clothes David in. Do you see this now? Are your eyes opening to this? Do you realize this is why next week I'm going to lead you into the New Testament teaching. This is a picture. This is a shadow. This is a type. This is to help you understand Jonathan's love for David. Do you know where it leads you? It leads you to him stripping himself. He takes off his own robe and he gives it to David. He gave it to him. Notice that. It says that Jonathan stripped himself of his own robe. He didn't just give him a robe. He just didn't give him a, a gift. You know what he done? He took his own robe. This is Jonathan's robe, his robe, his personal robe that he wears all the time. It's his identity. It's his possession. And you know what he does? He strips himself of his own robe. He takes it off totally in order to give it to David. 
because of this covenant, inside the covenant, only inside the covenant, love is manifest by Jonathan taking his own robe, stripping it off, and willingly giving it to David. This is his personal robe, and there's none like it in the empire. None like it in the entire kingdom. It is a unique garment. It is the son of a king. It is a prince in Israel. It is his personal robe. I can tell you, it's, got, it's made of the finest linen. It is the best made in the entire nation. This will be a remarkable robe. And look at Jonathan. They are inside covenant because of love. He doesn't mind stripping himself of his robe, all of his armor for David. You know what? He humbles himself. He takes a low place. There's no pride in Jonathan. There's no arrogance in, don't you realize I'm a prince's son? Don't you realize you're nothing compared to me? You're just a young a skitter, scallywag from the village uh, uh, outside of Bethlehem. You're a sheep herder, a sheep herder. Don't you realize I'm a prince? Do you see the prince stripping himself? He takes off his own garment to make it a gift, a bestow. He'll never take it back again. He has given it to David. And so he removes his royal garment. The thing that identifies him as a prince in Israel. Everyone knows it's a royal robe. You see, it was his robes. You know what robes done in the Old Testament? Do you know, do you know what a robe was for? It identified who you were. You remember Jacob because he loved Joseph more than the others. What did he do? He gave him a robe, multicolored robe. He gave him that garment. You know why? Because he loved him. He loved him more than all of the other sons. All of his sons, I'm sure he had a measure of love, but this one was identified by a special robe. Do you see here that this robe identifies a person? This robe identifies Jonathan. It gives you an awareness of who he is, of his character, of his position. This robe actually marks out of something of who it is. It was on Jonathan, but it's going to be given to David. And you know what this garment, given it to David, it means they're partners. Now when you saw David, he is dressed like Jonathan. Do you hear me? Apply this in your mind and heart. Now when you bump into Jonathan, only one young man in the entire kingdom had a robe like this. Only one, and his name was Jonathan. He was a prince in Israel. Everyone knew this prince. Everyone could identify him. Everyone saw him coming. Nobody has a robe like this. Now, from this point on, after this covenant is made, every time you see David, you think of Jonathan. You have Jonathan's robe on. You are jet dressed like Jonathan. You are identified with Jonathan. Jonathan, through his love, has brought you into covenant now he has marked you out by this robe. If you don't have this robe, you're not marked out. But this love, this covenant marks you out and says, I'm going to dress you in a certain way. You're going to be clothed. And when anyone sees you, you're identified with me. They're going to know about our covenant together. And so David, he was dressed just like Jonathan. He's now another Jonathan or one of the same 
He's like a brother to Jonathan. They are joined by covenant, brought into relationship through love. And Jonathan wants this to be seen. He wants it to be displayed. He wants to identify with David. You little shepherd boy, wherever you go, you're going to be identified with a prince in Israel. Everyone's going to know, I humbled myself. I stripped myself. I gave my royal robes unto you. The best that I had, all I had, what was mine, I have given unto you. Do you realize when you come to the New Testament, you see there is a robe that Christ gives to every single real Christian. When he loves you, brings you to the cross, and at the cross through his blood, brings you into a covenant, you know the first thing he does? He clothes you. But it's not in things of this world. It's not religious garbs. Do you know what he clothes you in? His own garment. Do you know there's a garment that belonged to Christ? It was his garment, only his garment, There's no other garment like that. It's a unique garment. It is specifically Christ's garment. And yet he strips himself of it. Where? On the cross. He strips himself on the cross. He took your sin, your filthy garments, your stained clothes. He took on the cross. And at the cross, he exchanges. This is why I call this. A covenant exchange. Do you understand now? A covenant exchange. In the covenant, an exchange is made. And do you know what? On the cross, Jesus took his garment and he gave it to you freely. You couldn't earn this. Listen to what the Bible actually says about this in a beautiful way. It speaks in Romans chapter 13. You see, I believe David put on Jonathan's identity. Listen that carefully. The robe is an identity. I self-identify in Christ. That is my identity. Because this garment, when I wear it, I'm going, I have taken on the identity, association in Christ. And so it says in Romans 13, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. David put on Jonathan, his identity, his robe. All that was his became mine. We do the same with Jesus Christ. We put on Christ, which means to put on his garment. If you put on the garment of Christ, you put on Christ himself. Listen to what it says in Romans 13, 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And then in Galatians chapter 3, 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have been put into Christ or have put on Christ If you've been baptized into Christ, immersed into Christ, then you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, when Eve sinned and then Adam followed her, it says this, and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. See, sin and rebellion against God, it brought Adam and Eve and all of mankind into nakedness. 
They weren't naked a few seconds before. Sin makes you naked. There is spiritual nakedness that you can't cover with clothes. You can't cover with religion. Good deeds, morality, trying your best. It doesn't do. You know what? You're born a sinner. You can have 10 layers of clothes on. You know what? You are naked. You are ashamed. You are embarrassed. You are condemned. You're outside this covenant. And you know what? You need to come into this covenant to be clothed again, to actually be adorned. You know what? Christ, you're going to put on Christ. David put on Jonathan by putting his robe on. He literally put on the identity of Jonathan. He was identifying with him. He was joined with him in a covenant. That robe of Jonathan's meant they were in covenant together. You know now, when you put on this robe of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're putting on Christ. You're identifying with him. It is the mark, the visible mark of the covenant. This life is the end of independent living. You now live for each other. Christ lives for you. You live for Christ. You can't have someone in this covenant not living for Christ. You can't have that. You see, this love consumes your heart. It conquers your heart. You may stumble. You may fail along the way. You, your love can dwindle. But I want to tell you, to turn your back and live your own life, that's utterly impossible. You can't be in this covenant and yet say you're cold and indifferent to Christ. You cannot do that because when you walk in his love, when you abide in his love, when you meditate on the cross and the blood, it inflames your love. What is this robe? What is the garment? We're told in Isaiah 61 verse 10. Listen to what it says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is in the Old Testament. That we are, if you're a believer, you have on the garments of salvation. You have the robe of God's righteousness. What is the robe? What is jo um, Jonathan's robe? It is righteousness. Do you know every believer gets clothed in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. What robe does Christ put on you? What is that robe? It is the perfect righteousness of Christ. It's not your righteousness. Remember what it says in Isaiah 64 and verse six. But we all as an unclean thing and all of us are unrighteous, sorry, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. That's a menstrual cloth. He's being very exact. That's what your morality, your good deeds. I'm going to be good enough to go to heaven. I'm going to try hard. I've been baptized. I keep the commandments. I tithe. I go to church. I, I keep my nose clean. I'm not going to sleep around. I'll try not to get drunk. I, I, I'll try not to curse. Definitely not a, around genuine Christians. I'll do it at home when no one's looking. Do you realize the Bible says all of your righteousness 
It's not degrading righteousness or trying to be good or being right. It's not doing that. What it's saying is for you to present anything, I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to live um, good enough to present myself to God. You never can. Well, if I just fast enough, if I just do this, if I repent enough, you can't repent enough. You, you, you can't be broken enough. You can't believe enough. You know what? You, you, all of your righteousness is like filthy rags and we all do feed as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You know what Isaiah says? We are to be clothed with the robe of God's righteousness. The entire New Testament teaches this. When you come into Christ, he loves you. The blood is shed. You're brought into a covenant. He gives you a robe. What is that robe? That robe is his righteousness. It's called the righteousness of God. It's given to you as a free gift. And I'm going to deal with this next week. You've got to understand this robe of righteousness. It is beautiful, saints of God. It's not a godly character that David had. It's not his integrity or his honesty or his humility. He needs the robe of Jonathan to be identified with Jonathan. He needs to wear his robe. It needs to be placed upon him. He needs to identify with him. You see, Jonathan is laying down his life when he strips himself of the garment. He's humbling himself. He's laying aside his future rights. Do you know the story you read about Jonathan and David? Do you know what you read? Jonathan knows that David's going to be on the throne. Jonathan chooses to say, I'm stripping myself. I love you. You know what Saul says? Don't you realize he's going to steal your position? Don't you realize he's going to sit on the throne? Yes. Aren't you jealous? No, absolutely not. I love him. You know what? I'm going to raise David up. I'm here to help David, protect David, to guard David, to clothe David, to arm David. You know why? I know he's going to sit on my throne. I know he's going to take my position. This robe of righteousness, this robe of Jonathan is going to lift you up to sit on a king's throne. Do you realize that? The Bible says we are going to reign with him as kings and priests. Do you realize righteousness? It's not your good deeds. It's because of the love of Christ. He clothes you. And you know what? He's preparing you one day. You're going to reign as a king. It says in the beautiful hymn, Charles Wesley's hymn, and can it be? We sing it. We love it. I love it. And can it be? Listen to this verse. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Aren't you glad tonight? Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Do you realize what this robe of righteousness has gained you? You haven't even entered into this. Now you have the robe. Now you're clothed in his righteousness. 
I want you to understand next week what this robe is. And we'll go into doctrine, into the book of Romans. We're going to go into Paul's teaching. You're going to begin to see this is biblical teaching. This is what the Christian who comes to Calvary enters the new covenant. The robe is the first thing you get. The best thing you get is to be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? One day you're being prepared for a throne on high. This is the love of Christ. This is the covenant of Christ. This is the robe of Christ. But let me finish here in this fourth and final point. Clothed for war. You see, if I clothe you in this garment of righteousness, you become a target for every demon in hell. The devil hates the spotless, perfect righteousness of Christ. Anyone who wears that garment becomes a target. Do you remember what happened to Joseph when he wore the garment, the robe given by his father? Remember what, it, what happened? It stirred up the jealousy, the anger, the bitterness, the murder of his brothers. They hated him. Why? Because of the coat, because of the garment, because his father loved him. And what was the mark of that love? That coat, that stinking, rotten coat. No, it's a beautiful coat. No, we hate it. We hate that garment. That coat, that garment is the sign that God loves you. Do you realize when the devil looks at you, he could handle your righteousness. Oh, he would mess with that big time. He could attack it, undermine it, challenge it. He can, put up, he can point out all the faults. You did this. Oh, I know I did. You did this. You did this. He knows you better than you. You think Mr. Google knows you? You think the internet do or the CIA do or AI knows you? Well, that's nothing. Do you know how well the devil knows you? He knows you. He knows your sins. He knows your faults. He knows your weaknesses. That's why he attacks your weaknesses. I know who you are. I know all about you. You used to belong to me. You were in my kingdom. You escaped from me, but I will get you back. That's the devil. And you know what? He comes against you. That garment, every time he sees a believer wearing it, it stirs up his anger, his jealousy, his vengeance. Do you see what happened here with Saul, Jonathan's father? Just after all of this, you see the suspicion of Saul gets stirred up. Oh, he begins to exalt David, gives him position, authority, fame. He gives him all that, but suspicion grows. Fear grows. Anger, mistrust. The devil begins to move in on this. An evil spirit from the Lord. And when it comes on him, he'll throw a spear at David. He hates David. Do you know why? He's wearing the garment of Jonathan. He's got the mark of the covenant. Don't you know he's going to sit on your throne? Don't you know he's going to take your position? Yes, I do. Do you think I'm ignorant of that? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil must accuse you and say, don't you know they're going to sit in your throne? Yes, absolutely. Why do you think I give them my righteousness? I'm preparing them. I'm training them. I've got a destiny on high. This robe is to protect them now. This fourth and last point, clothed for war. Look at verse four. Not only do you get a robe, Jonathan's robe, not only did Jonathan strip himself of his robe, and give it to David. What else did he give? 
and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. See that word garments. Look at it. So you get a robe. Then you get the garments of Jonathan. Not until you get a robe. Once you're clothed in the robe of Jonathan, then you get his garments. The garments are not the same as the robe. In fact, you know what the word garments means there? It's the word for armor. That's what it is. Look it up in your strongs. I'll tell you where else the word garments is used. The Hebrew word meaning armor. It's used just one chapter before. In chapter 17, verse 38. This is what it says. And Saul armed David with his armor. It's the exact same word. It's the word for armor. So you've got your robe on. Now Jonathan says, I'm going to give you my garments, my armor. You remember what happened in 1 Samuel 17, 38? Remember, that was King Saul who was trying to arm David. I'll give you my armor. Notice he didn't give him his robe, did he? Do you see that? Do you see what Saul done? He wants to give you the armor. He wants you to fight his battles. He wants you to be in the front line. He wants you to go against Goliath, but he doesn't give you a robe. You see what Jonathan does. He first gives you the robe of righteousness, his princely robe. Then he arms you or gives you his armor. And so we know that when Saul tried to give David his armor, he said, he rejected it. He said, this doesn't fit. You know, spiritual armor doesn't fit you if you don't have the robe of righteousness. Do you know that's why so many Christians are not fighting the good fight of faith against sin? They don't have the robe of righteousness. That's why Saul's armor cannot fit you. It's not going to help you. You don't have the robe of Christ's righteousness. Therefore, you can't have Christ's armor. You know, Ephesians 6, that's all of Christ's armor, but it's only for those who are robed in righteousness. You've got no reason to fight the king's battle if you're not robed in the king's righteousness. And notice here that once David is clothed in the robe, then he'll wear the armor of Jonathan. You know what? Jonathan's armor fits me. Jonathan's armor has been used. Remember, Jonathan used it against the enemy. He put his armor on, went up against the Philistines. David knew that. David had seen that. He said, this armor I can actually take and use. Notice there's three bits of the armor here. There's the sword, the bow, and the girdle. We know in Ephesians 6 that it says before all of this, it says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate to protect your heart. This is the most important bit of armor. You see, righteousness, Christ's righteousness is not only a robe. It's a breastplate to protect you in the battle. It protects all of your vital organs. It is an armor plate against the enemy. If anything gets past the sword and past the shield, it's going to hit that breastplate of righteousness. If all else fails, the breastplate of righteousness will save you in the the fight. This breastplate will protect you. It'll protect your heart in the fight. But listen, what is the sword? It says in Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
It is the word of God. What's the girdle? That's Ephesians 6.14. Stand there for having your loins girt about with truth. Then it says he's got the bow. You know, the bow was the weapon of Jonathan. Jonathan's weapon above any other weapon was the bow. When you begin to um, study the word bow in the Old Testament, it is the symbol of strength. You know, Joseph in Genesis 49, there's a prophecy about Joseph. And it says his bowed, his bow abode in strength. Joseph never had a bow in his hand. Never. Not once in his entire life. Joseph never had, but he did spiritually. Joseph had a spiritual bow. The bow is a symbol of an instrument. The bow is a symbol of strength. It's also a symbol of judgment against your enemies. Do you see David here? He's now got Jonathan's robe. Then he puts his armor. He's got a sword. He's got a bow. He's got a girdle of truth that holds everything together. And he goes out into the battle. David is now dressed like Jonathan, not only in righteousness, but he's going to fight God's enemies. He's actually going to fight the good fight of faith. You know, so many are not fighting against sin and fighting the devil and fighting the world because they were never robed afresh in the righteousness of Christ. But I want to tell you tonight, it's a warfare for those robed in righteousness. If you have the robe of Jonathan, if you're clothed, With Jesus Christ, you are a target. You've got a real devil that hates you because of this love. You know, when he sees that robe, he says, you are loved by God. And God has manifested his love on you by clothing you, not in your righteousness, but the perfect, spotless, immaculate righteousness of Christ. There's not one spot. Not one thing wrong with it. And when God looks on you, he doesn't see you, but he sees his son. He sees Jesus Christ. And the devil hates that. And saints of God, you need to understand, those who have received the gift of Christ's righteousness on the cross, this is a covenant exchange. I give you my righteousness. And what does the Bible say? If God held not back his son, then what good thing will he withhold from you? Do you doubt that God will give you any good thing? Then look at the cross. Did he withhold his son, the blood of his son? Did he withhold the righteousness of his son? Then he says, there's nothing greater than that. He gave you his son already. So he's going to give you everything in his son. Will you pray with me here tonight? Father, we thank you, God, for this exchange at the cross. So God, we've seen that our sin was exchanged. And Lord God, it's on this cross because of your love, you brought us to this making of the covenant, this blood shedding, this place of sacrifice, this place where you manifested, where you showed us that you really loved us, that your love was shown towards us in your son dying and suffering and becoming a propitiation 
becoming a sacrifice for sin, being the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. And my God, on the cross, as you died, you took of your righteousness and transferred it. The free gift of your righteousness became ours in this blood covenant. And my God, you exchanged it for our, our rags, our filthy garments. You took our garments on the cross and you gave us spotless garments that we can live in this world as, as sinners that are saved by the grace of God. We can walk the world in white. We can walk in robes of righteousness. We can be perfect in the Lamb of God. We can be clean in this world. Nor God, do we know what we have done against you, yet we can be forgiven, washed, made new. And Lord God, to come boldly to the throne of grace. And Lord God, I pray tonight, open our hearts, stir our hearts, warm us, as we realize that we are adorned with Christ, that we are adorned with his righteousness, that he has clothed us with his own perfection, his own purity, his own holiness, his own right actions, right deeds and right words. My God, you made them ours and we love you and praise you tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus.